no secret, we're starting a short series on our identity in Christ. And uh, yeah, you'd have to be sleeping through the last 40 minutes to be not, <laughs> not catch that one. Um, I'm starting at a slightly different place where, where we, there's so many places we could start. I want to take our reading from Ephesians chapter 4. Funny enough, we used the same reading to look at Christian sexual ethics. Um, but we come to it, as it were, with a uh, fresh set of lenses. Sometimes what you see in the text de determines by the question that was in your mind. Now, both of them are correct. It's just the Word of God is so rich that it speaks again and again. So Ephesians chapter 4 from verse 17, Paul is writing, and the big question inside the book of uh, the people he's writing to who were overwhelmingly Gentiles, who had encountered this faith that was deeply Jewish, emerged fully. You couldn't understand it. You couldn't understand its terms, its concepts, its ideas without being rooted in the Jewish scriptures. And so you have this thing. And, and the question that the Gentiles were asking is, why the Jews? And the answer is, that's what God chose to do. And so, you know, in chapter 1, for example, where it says, uh, in him we were chosen. And Paul's not talking about everyone in that sense. He's, he's explicitly talking about some Christians who weren't chosen. So you've got to wrap your theology of election around that. Because then later on he says, and you too were also included in him. He's specifically talking about God's choice to start with the Jewish people and then to include the nations. And so this question keeps going. But now the Jewish identity has helped the Jewish people believe. But now we've got an identity that needs to be reworked for the Gentiles, for the nations who are coming to God. And Paul's answer is not going to be that they have to become good Jews in order to find out their true identity. Verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles or the nations do in the emptiness or futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Like there's this clamor for more that simply seems to define very much who they are. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Messiah or Christ, and when you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. There's a truth you only find in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. It's like a garment or a shirt. You've got to take it off. You've got to get rid of it. 
put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. We all have desires. Those desires don't always tell the truth. They tell you, I must be fulfilled or else you won't be happy. Corrupted by deceitful desires. To be made new in the attitudes of your mind. Remember who he's talking to. And to put on the new self. Your new self. Created to be like God. Wow. Creation kicks in. In true righteousness and holiness. Salvation kicks in. Creation and salvation together will give you your God-given sense of identity. And then I'm going to jump to uh, chapter 5 and verse 8. It says, For you were once darkness. I mean, that's quite a startling thing. You were once darkness. Not just you were in the darkness. You were not just trapped by the problem. You were the problem. You weren't the solution. You were the problem. The way you lived, the way you thought, the way you followed your own desires, the way you imagined the world, you were darkness. But now, you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Find out what pleases the Lord have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness or the vain or empty. They they sterile, but rather expose them. So we pick up our journey, and we're going to learn that this morning um, the estate agents are partly right. Estate agents will tell you that the value of the house is determined by three things. Location, location, location. That's what we want to look at this morning. Location. You see, number one, our identity is rooted in our creation in the image of God. Literally, as it were, in the olden days, they would have, uh, you know, especially in ancient times, they would have statues or images or icons of the people or the gods who ruled in a particular place. They believed if they could put up the totem pole or if they could put up the human likeness or any other kind of likeness of their god, the image guaranteed the dominion or the rule or the kingdom of that icon. And so by placing an image or an icon on the earth gave that being the right to rule. That's how people thought, and Genesis 1 then comes along and says that you and I are made in the icon of God, in the image of God. God fully intends to rule on the earth through us. And so we read that there is this new self. As we are made new in the attitude of our minds, instead of the old self, which we must put on, we have to literally put on like putting on clothes, but it's a new way of seeing ourselves. When you look in the mirror and you've got these clothes on and then you put new clothes on and you look at yourself again, there's a new way of seeing. And you put on your new self created. You see, there is creation and there is recreation and it's created. It's always been intended. 
and through salvation is reclaimed in that original intention to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This is who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. You see, we'll never understand Jesus until we understand that for Jesus, the gospel never began in Genesis 3 with the bad news that you were a sinner. The gospel always begins for Jesus with the breathtaking, wonderful news, incredible news that we've been made in God's image, made to represent him, made in his icon. To reveal him so people can look and say, that's what God is like. Put on your new self, created. And people can look and see out of new creation. But you see, made to represent him, carry his name, his nature, created to be like God. Made to rule by being stewards of his will on earth as in heaven. Literally a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, royal as in we are the children of the king. You know, there's all this spare stuff going on at the moment as people are trying to work out, well, some are more royal than others, and then others lose their royal titles the further they drift from the king. That's how humans manage dominion. God's kingdom is exactly the opposite. He places his image on everyone that his dominion might be known and seen through all. God has no spares. You were never meant to see yourself as anything less than someone who brings. And so there's this royal exercising, ruling, having dominion. It's not just ceremonial. It's actual. And it's priesthood. We minister for God. And incredibly, the Bible is very clear, we minister to God. Acts 13 describes how mission burst in Antioch church as the people were ministering to God, is the literal text. And so God in creation fashioned and formed us from the dust building our very bodies from the raw materials of the earth. And then he comes close and he breathes his breath, his spirit, his ruach into us. You see, we alone, and you have heard me say this if you've been coming, but we alone, human beings, are made of the dust of the earth and the breath of heaven. We are the absolute intersect of heaven and earth. Angels don't even have that privilege. Demons certainly don't have that privilege. The devil doesn't have that privilege. God alone came to share in that privilege with us. So that precisely those who carry his image and are the dust of the earth and have the breath of heaven might bring again his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Literally, You were made to be the intersect of heaven and earth. You were made to attract and enjoy the presence of God by his Holy Spirit. Literally, you're like a magnet to God. That's how you were created. The gospel doesn't start with the fall that sees you driven out of the garden. The gospel starts with the plan, the design. 
the original intent. Literally everything about you and me is made and fashioned and formed by God. One of the funnest things is working out how the different faculties that we have can be trained to discern good and evil and interact with God. It's not just your mind. Everything about you, including your body. Your body is uniquely made to carry the Spirit of God. Listen to this, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 13b. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality. We need to say in identity that nothing messes identity faster than sexual immorality. Paul's going to go to that in Ephesians 4 as well. Not meant for that. Your body is meant for the Lord. There's nothing wrong with sex. And God has a place for it, and it has an expression for it that is healthy and beautiful and honorable and delightful and, frankly, amazing. But listen to this. So your body has been made for the Lord. Now, obviously, the Lord hasn't been made, but your body's also been made in such a way that the Lord is for your body. You know, that's, that whammed me when I first saw that. Like, it's not just that I have a body that God wants to use, but that the Lord himself is what my body really, really wants and needs. The Lord is for my body. This is fully creation affirming. There's no what we call dualism over here, where you know, your body is bad and evil, and it's just this temporary thing. It is weak, and it is fallen, and it does have all these needs and desires that sometimes lead us astray. And it can sometimes, when it's independent of God, be called the flesh or sinful nature. But it's not the actual meat and bones that's the problem. It's when you don't let your body be for the Lord and the Lord for your body. So the grace that Jesus had, like right from the first stories in the Bible, was to treat every person as if they had the potential to reveal the fullness of the image of God. And so whether it was the woman with the issue of blood, whether it was Zacchaeus hiding up a tree, whether it was a blind man crying for mercy, whether it was a demoniac screaming in his addiction and his brokenness and everything else, Jesus had the potential to see what he originally planned. He never lost sight of the value and the dignity and the potential of anybody that he interacted with. Do you need that this morning? Do you need to know that God has not lost sight of you? He has not lost sight of what you can become. He has not lost sight of the fact that your body, turn to the person next to you and say, my body is made for the Lord. And the Lord is for my body. Now, please note, Jesus never pretended their sin was unimportant or didn't matter. He just refused to let sin have the final say, to be intimidated by the sin. He knew he would deal with the effects of the fall. The fall is all too real. We know that. He just never lost sight of the created purpose and design and intention. We do well to do the same. So identity flows out of this creation. The second thing is the battle for identity then is triggered by trauma, wounds, sin. Whether it's ours 
or done by others, whether they've lived in this generation or back in the Garden of Eden. The Bible says that all those things create a war for your sense of self. You know, Paul is writing, these Gentiles would not have identified as Jews or as the people of God or Yahweh or whatever. And the way you see yourself is how you then define what should be normal. This is who we are. Identity defines your normal. And so the problem for the Gentiles was that their normal was so far from the pattern of God. And so he says to them, massively influenced, he says, I want you to think of yourselves differently and you're not going to live as the Gentiles do anymore. Because their thought patterns are self-defeating. Now, there were Jewish thought patterns that were self-defeating as well, and the prophets had to go after those. But Paul is specifically dealing in this context here. So we need to recognize, and so often we want in our modern world, post-modern world, we want to say it's got nothing to do with anybody else. We try and disconnect our sense of identity and our sense of self from our family of origin, from the place we were born, the people we were born to, the color of our skin, whatever else. I mean, I find it very weird that people can choose their sex and gender, but they, you know, they accused of cultural appropriation. Hey, white man. If, uh, <laughs> I see you, white man, welcome. Um, if they dare change their race, don't you dare pretend racially you this or that or not. But we can do it, you know, in something far less complex, being male or female. It's a pretty binary thing. I mean, culture is so complicated, and you're not even allowed to mess one little bit with that. And yet you can completely and freely, apparently, according to the world's definition, just decide you're going to be a different gender. You can trance yourself into something else. Now listen, family of origin, no Family is perfect. Ask my kids. We'll always have stuff to work through. Whether it's in the distance, whether it's in the past, whether it's in the present, whether it's those that you love so deeply, father, mother, children, brothers, sisters. There's so much work. And remember the heading is that it's in the trauma and the loss and the sorrow that the battle for identity is triggered. And so you're going to go through life with some incredible hard times that want to rewrite your creation story. And they want to tell you, this is who you are. And so if, if you've suffered the trauma of abuse, it wants to write the story and say, this is who you will become. And if you've suffered the trauma of dispossession, they want to say, you too will become the perpetrator. You too will do this. And so again and again, we find ourselves reacting. Now, we're going to come back to this. But we simply can't simply say, well, I'm bigger than that. Paul's preaching to Mars Hill uh, in Acts chapter 17. And he says, there's a God-givenness to a whole lot of your life that you had no control of. 
He chose the place you were born, wherever you're going to be born to. There's, there's so much. You know, the language you learned as an infant, did you choose that? How you even framed the world, the worldview that you lived with. You didn't choose it. It's almost, it's so deep that finding out how to reprogram ourselves. So we recognize this is, there's stuff that goes down. And some of it's very well intended. Some of it's just distorted by generations of patterns within the group that we were socialized. You know, the question of instinctive, conditioned racism is not something that you can just say, I'm going to, I'm different. <laughs> i got black friends. <laughs> it's going to take deep work to recognize all that has happened in your life to condition you for white superiority. And the environment you've lived in has to be wrestled, identified with, and in its power broken in different ways. And over this next several weeks and months, we're going to look at some of the things that we will need to do. But any form of abuse, from manipulation and control to violence to sexual abuse. And the crazy thing is, we then live with illogical guilt, even though Jesus said someone else, Matthew 18, caused you to sin. I mean, we don't like that. We're independent. We don't want to think that someone caused me to sin. Jesus said it. If you cause one of these little ones to sin. And then we live with this guilt, somehow assuming we're at fault. And the devil wants to come and speak into that wound. Other trauma, divorce in our families or crime or rejection in a social setting, or even more painful inside your own family, or poverty, the debilitating impact that is formed by a poverty mindset where we literally say to ourselves, I must be worthless. I am worth less. Nothing. I don't care how much nothing you've got. Your value is not determined by how much you do or don't have. You are not worth less. The magazines love to, love to say, how much is he worth? He's worth so much. Can I tell you, you are worth the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, who paid his own life and blood for you. A poverty mindset says, I don't have what it takes. And so you don't step out and try. Poverty mindset tells you, you can never make it. And so you tell yourself, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. You see, if you don't think you're worth much, and here's one of the biggest things of today, you won't expect much, and you won't prepare for much, and you won't get ready for all that God has in store for you. And you would not even imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. See, if you don't think you're worth much, then you don't expect enough. Explore. I, and I, I've only just realized as I'm saying it, I am so expectant for this year. Because there is so much darkness around, I'm utterly convinced that the light is going to be seen for what the light is. And that this is the time for the church to shine 
And as I go, I realize it's precisely because I believe in what Jesus has done for us and in us and is inviting other people into. If I don't think I'm worth much, if I didn't think you were worth much, I wouldn't expect much. But I know what Jesus has done for you. I'm expecting so much more. You see, Jesus' expectations are ridiculously sky high. Peter says to Jesus, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. You don't know who I am. And Jesus, of course, knew about his sin. But Jesus was going to say to him, you're exactly the kind of person that I'm going to build my church on and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus has very high expectations of us. And that's because of who he is. And because of who you are. You know, we want to quickly say, not, not because of, no. Made in his image, revealed to uh, represent him. I heard this. And that's one of the reasons why the devil will attack your identity. Because he knows it's so intimately attached to the expectations you will place on yourself. He's going to have a full go at your identity because if you surrender your identity, you won't step out in the expectations that he's got for you. If your identity is intact, hell trembles because you're going to do stuff for God because you're no longer trying to earn his love or deserve anything or whatever else. And so on my first love after marriage course, I wrote this down. I, I don't know where. It was in the little sidebar in my notebook. So if someone does it regularly, they can tell me if it was in the presentation. It says, God has a dream and he's wrapped it up inside my body. So when God has prepared good works in advance for us to do, God had a dream. And so he made this person called Craig. Because God has a dream and he needed a body to give expression to the dream on earth. You see, the difficulty is, is that we live with so much self-judgment and condemnation that we disqualify ourselves from the dreams that God has dreamt for us, for the plans. To him who is able to do, in Ephesians 3, immeasurably more, all that we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. New identity. So can I quickly talk about inadequate solutions? We've seen how sin comes in and messes it up. Inadequate solutions for identity. There are popular strategies that take an element of truth about identity and misapply it. And using these solutions is like revving your car engine harder instead of switching, trying to save power by revving the engine harder instead of switching to an electric vehicle. You just needed something different than the old internal combustion. A new identity is like switching from an internal combustion vehicle to an electric vehicle. It's literally that radical. You're still going to look like a person. You're still going to look, in the metaphor, like a car. You're still going to take people from here to there. But revving harder is not going to change who you are. So these strategies, we try and use reason and the myth of choice to divorce ourselves from. Now, I know this is going to sound weird. Your created identity. You see, 
Your new identity in Christ will surpass, but it will include everything about your created identity. Your identity in Christ does not cancel the color of your skin. Your identity in Christ does not cancel the gender you were born with. Your identity in Christ does not change your birth family and its origin. It doesn't change where you were born. In other words, those things that seem so powerfully controlling of who you are, They are not going. You can't just set them aside. You can't just say, well, they don't count anymore. So we try and use either reasoning. So Descartes famously climbed into a chimney for a day, and there in the darkness, he tried to find himself a sense of identity, and he said, I think, therefore I am, I think. Therefore I am, I think. And he tried to use reason only. Now, notice what he's doing. He's trying to disconnect himself from everything else, whether it's community, whether it's origin, whether it's the defining realities of his own being that other people will see and say. He's trying to use reason only as the way to establish truth and identity. You can't divorce yourself from your nationality. It's just there. Now, that doesn't mean these things trump everything else. Now, it gets even more complicated when these things have become related to hurt or sin or pain. But I was born in a certain place with a certain body, with a particular sex and gender, with my color of skin, which changes when I go into the sun, in a certain family, with a particular community, within a country, And I am to receive those gratefully. There's no shame. You know, so often when we try and fight the things that were the God-given realities of our life, we find ourselves fighting God. Now, those things should not control us. They're not our greatest narrative. But I can't ignore their influence on my identity or the fact that the fall can cause so much of a distortion in the power of these things. Simply deciding with Descartes that they don't matter or with the postmoderns that I can literally change them. So I can decide I'm not this, I'm that. Doesn't break their power. That's a myth. These are inadequate solutions. Identity-forming factors can't be wished away. They must be surpassed. Which takes us to our redemption. Our redemption is redeemed by salvation. So we can't wish away the stuff, but we can begin again by being born into a new identity. Romans chapter 6, Paul describes it like this. He says, don't you know that you were crucified with Christ and you've been raised with him to a new life? And so in the language of Ephesians chapter 4, he says, you're going to die to your old self. In other words, letting those things define you supremely is also a problem. You can't get rid of them and you shouldn't. Actually, the more grateful you can learn to be in your own skin, The more constructively you can engage with your story and your past and your nationality, the more wholesomely you can forgive all the injuries that were part of it, the healthier you will be. 
you only walk into the future well by making sure that you deal with that past stuff. But the main thing, back to our estate agents, is that the way you change your identity is location, location, location. You see, through salvation, we are relocated to being in Christ Jesus. That is the most uh, identity-defining reality. So turn to the person next to you and tell them, location, location, location. (laughs) Value and identity is determined by location. So now I want you to say this nice and loud. That was very timid. By faith, I am in Christ Jesus. You are in Christ Jesus. So finish the sentence with me. No trick question. Romans 8 verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. I wanted you to finish the sentence. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's try this one again. I don't want you, you don't have to repeat after me. You just have to finish the sentence. If anyone, okay, I'm in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. It's a little bit about the new. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, or they are new creation. Literally, our salvation locates us. It takes us from where we were. It does not ignore those realities. It simply places you into a far greater uh, reality. And here's the logic of the Bible. You go to Romans chapter 5, for example, or 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where Jesus is described as the eschatos Adam, the eschatological human being. In other words, he's the supreme finish line of all that humanity is ever intended to be. Okay? So now, we go back to Romans chapter 5. We learn that from our first ancestors, instead of inheriting life, we inherit death. Death came through Adam. But life is found in Christ Jesus. You see, he is the second Adam. He's the relaunch of the human race as God intended. Now, if your new ancestor is Jesus, if your new origin is Jesus... This is now what defines me supremely. Now listen to this. But you're saying, my created identity is so strong. John chapter 20, verse 22, Jesus comes, scares the daylights out of the disciples, you know, as they locked into this room with the doors closed. And he reveals himself as the risen Lord of the new creation. And then it says... And then he breathed on them. Genesis chapter 2. And then he breathed on them. He's restarting creation. He breathes on them. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. It's a new seed, a new life. The Holy Spirit. It's the relaunch of the human race starting in the upper room. Receive the spirit of your new maker your remaker, your redeemer. He is literally beginning 
the world all over again through a human race defined by Jesus. A human identity. So 2 Corinthians 5 again, verse 19, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ Jesus, <laughs> not counting people's sins against them. Location, location, location. God made him who had no sin to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And so I'm created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Ephesians 5 again. You once were darkness, but now, identity, you are light. You once were the problem. You've not just found the solution. You are the solution. In Jesus, you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. My very identity is to have been moved from being part of the problem to being on the solution side, on the salvation side, on God's plan and destiny side that he's determined in advance for us to do. You see, you are light because, Ephesians 5 verse 8, you are in the Lord. Location, location, location. So say this with me. I am not darkness. I am light in the Lord. Say it again. I am not darkness. I am light in the Lord. I am inside God's plan. I am God's solution for darkness. I am God's answer to evil, the moment I am in Christ Jesus. Does that help you see yourself differently? And one of the things is that we learn in Revelation 3 and in Ephesians 2 is that it helps us pray differently. Ephesians chapter 2, we are now seated in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. We're praying from a place of new identity. We're coming to a week of prayer and fasting, which isn't a hunger strike to get God to fix the world. It is an opportunity to reset ourselves. I, wanna, I really want to urge you, and you might not be able to come to the normal prayer. This is a great week in which we get to focus and direct ourselves. I want to urge you, if you're able, six in the morning, Half past seven in the evenings, Monday through Thursday. And we are going to lean into that place of expectation because we believe God has made us part of the solution. You see, as we prepare ourselves, as we lean into God, we discover the truth of His Word. Put on the new self. Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now there's so much more we could say, and we're going to say a bit more next week, and we're going to say a bit more in the week after, and then we're going to go on church camp, and, uh, and we're going to continue into this space of literally redeeming our stories 
so that we might be what God's word declares is true, light in the Lord.